emails rather from different places of the world of people that follow us. So I really want this to be prayed over. So Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. And the Bible says the word of the Lord will go forth and accomplish that which the Lord has sent it forth to do. It will not return void. And so, Lord, tonight I ask you for the grace that you would come upon me and anoint me and speak through me, Lord, your words of life, that this will be rhema from heaven. It'll be manna. It will be the true word of the Lord, and it'll be under an anointing. And by your Holy Spirit, people will be able, those that are hearing this, those that will hear recordings, that the Spirit of God will be moving and will help us just to be captivated, to give you our best ear, to give you our full attention, to not be distracted in our minds, to not be thinking on other things. But Lord, I ask you for the grace to, that we'll just get tuned into what you're speaking to us and that we'll have good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives. You anoint our eyes and ears, give us eyes and ears of the Spirit and let the word of the Lord go out as living seeds of truth sown into good, fertile soil that'll be watered by the Holy Spirit take root grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until jesus comes lord let the winds of your spirit the precious holy spirit cause this word to go out among the nations everywhere it's supposed to go let the mighty angels of god watch over the word of god that is going to accomplish that which you sent it for it to do and just as jesus taught us the birds of the air try to come and steal the seed we bind the enemy in the name of jesus you will not hinder the word of god from getting where it's supposed to go and doing what it's supposed to be doing. We bind you now in Jesus' name. Lord, let this go forth in power and let everything be spoken and everything be accomplished through this time. Lord, that your will to be done. We bless you and we commit it unto you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so I talked about last week, I'm going to dovetail off that sermon, but I talked about restoration. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that heaven must receive Jesus until the restoration of all things. Now that's an important scripture because a lot of people don't realize that. Jesus has ascended. He's at the right hand of the Father, but the Bible promises us there will be a restoration of all things. Now, I talked about the parallel between Israel and the church down through the years. We've seen that God has been doing something, especially in the 20th century, that God began to do something very significant because Jesus is it's being prepared. The nation of Israel is being made ready for the coming of the Lord in the natural, but also the church is being made ready. God is moving in a powerful way. And we've seen seasons of revival in the church. And seemingly the times of revival in the church, God has also been doing things significantly in the nation of Israel. So I suspect that in the days to come, I believe with all my heart that we're about to see the greatest revival the church has ever seen, but I believe it will usher in the Lord's coming. And also believe that simultaneously God is going to be finishing some things with Israel to get things ready for his coming because the Bible says, for example, there has to be a third temple. So these things are in the works. God is moving. All right, so what I want to do, I don't want to recap on that too much. I want to now move into this second part. This will be the last sermon around Pentecost that I want to cover. And this is Ephesians 5.25. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also, and I want you to notice Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Now, I want you to notice that, in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she should be holy and blameless. So the Lord is moving. And I'm going to tell you that what I read last week, that the Bible talks about in the book of Acts, that the Spirit of God is the one who has birthed this church. Let me give you an example. Where is the Father right now? He's in heaven. Where is the Son? He's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus said, I'm going to go, but he said, I'm going to send the Comforter. Jesus said, it's better that I go, which is really a shocking statement. But when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, and they were, everybody there was baptized in the Holy Spirit, there was a great harvest of 3,000 people. That was the birth of the church. And the Holy Spirit is the overseer, if you will, of the activity of what's going on in this church. He birthed the church. So it stands to reason that it's going to be through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and great revival that restoration comes to the church and a final work will be complete. But it's going to be by the Holy Spirit's ministry is what I'm trying to get at. Jesus oversees the church as a headship, but it's the Holy Spirit's activity that is going to cause there to be a bride ready for the coming of the Lord. And so there's been a great move down through the centuries, or the last couple centuries especially, of a great revivals that have been preparing us. All right. So let me read a couple more things. Hosea 6, 2. He will revive us after two days, and he will raise us up on the third, that we may live before him. There's some parallels here, about three days. We know that Israel had the first temple. It was destroyed. Then the second temple which had a greater glory, but it, of course, was destroyed. It became Herod's temple, destroyed in 70 A.D. And now we know there's going to be a final third temple, which the Antichrist will sit in for a time, but ultimately Jesus Christ will come to. And so you see there the second day, then on the third day, the coming of the Messiah. Also, we know the early church, great revival. Then the last day church is going to see great revival. And then the Messiah will come. That's going to be like the third day. Jesus will come for the thousand-year reign. And so there's this principle. On the second day, there's a reviving. But on a third day, there's going to be uh, raised up. There's going to be like a completion. Does that make sense? We're in the second day right now. We're in the time of the what I talked about last week, the former and the latter reigns. So there's a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's going to happen. And we're living in that time near the coming of the Lord. And so let me pick up where I left off last week <coughs> in Joel chapter 2. I'm going to read this and I want to talk about a glorious church. All right, Joel 2 starting with verse 18. I read the first half of the chapter last week. And I'm going to read the second half here. Then the Lord, remember the first half dealt with the Assyrian and Babylonian Empire, the, these military forces that Joel saw coming in to destroy and plunder Israel. But the Lord said, if you'll pray and seek me, I'll restore things. Okay? So we're starting. Keep that in mind. Verse 18. The Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I will, I'm going to send you grain. Grain speaks of the harvest. New wine and oil speaks of great revival. The wine is like the refreshing, but the oil is the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will be satisfied and full with them. I will never again make you a reproach, a reproach among the nations, but I will remove the northern army from you. That's Assyria. I will drive it into a parched and desolate land and, and, it, and its vanguard into the eastern sea, its rear guard into the western sea, and its stench will arise and its foul smell will come up. 
for it has done great things. Do not fear, O land, rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beast of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness will have turned green, for the tree has borne forth its fruit. See, there comes a fullness of time with God. I dealt with a lot of this last week, an appointed time, the fullness of time. And we're living in this time. And it says here, the tree has borne forth its fruit. Now look at this. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. The fig tree has to do with Israel. The vine has to do with the church. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The fig tree is always the Israel, and it's always God's timepiece. I can't rabbit trail too much on that. But you remember, Jesus' ministry in Israel was to the Jewish people for three years, and he told the parable of how the, the, the landowner was saying, cut down that fig tree, it's not bearing any fruit. And one of the workmen said, no, wait a second, please just wait, let us fertilize it, dig around it. And they did this for three years. And finally, they said, it's not bearing fruit, cut it down. It's a reference to Israel. It's a reference to the temple being destroyed and the diaspora, the scattering. So this is the fig tree and the vine have yielded their fruit. I want you to see, like last week, these train tracks. God is moving in the nation of Israel to prepare things in a physical way for the coming of Jesus Christ to that nation. According to Bible prophecy, there had to be a nation of Israel. Jerusalem has to be the capital, and there has to be a temple. Does this make sense? And God's been working to, to bring that about in the natural. That's going to be where Jesus' feet are planted on the Mount of Olives when he comes, and he's going to go into Jerusalem. But in the same way, the church has been, the Holy Spirit has been poured out, and God has been moving to restore all things. Let me pick up. Verse 23, so rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication. He's poured down for you the rain, the early and the latter rain as before. That's the spring and the fall rains. The threshing floors will be full of grain. That's the harvest. And the vats overflow with new wine and oil. That's great revival. Then I will make up to you, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. Isn't that awesome? Heaven must receive him until the restoration of all things. The creeping locust, the stripping locust, the gnawing locust. The great army which I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and I am the Lord your God. There is no other God and my people will never be put to shame. And then it goes on to say this. And there's a strong connection with this passage that I'm reading and the church because Peter on the day of Pentecost stood up. The Holy Spirit had been poured out. There were people from all over the world that were Jews that came in to Jerusalem because it was Passover. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls on these people. They're speaking in tongues. They're acting kind of drunk in the spirit. And the people are onlooking saying, what is this? Some mocked. You know how it is when revival breaks out. The God mockers, those that are thinking, what in the world is that? You know, and then others that are responding, those that were the 120 that were being filled. And Peter stood up and he preached the gospel and he quoted from Joel. And the Bible said there were 3,000 that came to know the Lord that day. So let me read to you what Peter quoted. Verse 28, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. I'm having more and more dreams as I go. And your young men will see visions. Verse 29, 
Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, the blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered or saved. For on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. And Peter quoted this. We're living in the last days. <laughs> I think everybody knows that. You know, the Bible talks about those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. And I've just seen in these latter days, and I'm sure that many of you have as well, that there are those that seem to have eyes to see and ears to hear, and they understand the times, but there are those that are just clueless. Even among the Christians, they just don't know. But Jesus always spoke about that, and he rebuked Israel. He said, you can look in the sky and discern if it's going to rain or not. And you can look at plants and discern the, the changing of seasons, but you didn't even know the day of my visitation. And he rebuked them. He said, we're to know what's going on. We're to know the times and seasons. If you know the spirit and you know the word, we should be realizing that it is the latter days that we're living in right now. We've even seen some of these things come to pass, and I believe that they really were from the Lord and they were prophetic on uh, what was it? Passover and Tabernacles, 2014 and 15. There was blood moons that took place. There was a, a solar eclipse. And these things were very prophetic about the soon coming of the Messiah. And I believe that it's connected to this. It said, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth. Blood, fire, calms the smoke. The sun turned to darkness and the moon to blood. We have those blood moons and solar eclipses. But in the latter days, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so in these last days that we're living, God is going to pour out his spirit on every nation in the world. We're going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit all over the world. And I believe that we're near seeing the fullness of that. We've seen great moves of the spirit. You go back, I thank God for, you know, 1517, Martin Luther, the Reformation. I thank God under the days in the mid-1700s with Wesley. Then you have what, Cambridge? 1800 1805 brother zach taught on that mid 1800s we had the you know finney brother nash the second great awakening we had around 1900 we had the great move of god in wales and Susan. you guys are all familiar with this we've had down through now you enter into the 20th century things are speeding up we had moves of god at the first you know 1905 then it, again in 1930 40 50 great move of god then in the 60s and 70s another great move of god and then in the 90s we had a major, major move of the Spirit in the mid-80s, Argentine revival, into the 90s with things like Rodney Howard Brown and um, Toronto, Brownsville, etc. It's a time of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I believe everything that's been happening has been building up to what's about to happen. God is going to finish what He needs to do with Israel to get things ready, but God is going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And there's going to be a final move of God that is going to get the church ready for the coming of the Lord. Because when the Lord comes, he's coming for a glorious bride. And right now, when you look out over the church, we're nowhere near where we need to be. And it's not going to be just good preaching and good church services that's going to get the job done. It's going to have to be a move of God. It's going to, have to be a move of the Spirit. And that's just the way it is. So let me talk about a glorious church. When you read Matthew 25, this is concerning. 
Because Jesus talked about the parable of the ten virgins. If you really read Matthew 25 and you read some of Jesus' other teachings, it's concerning. Because in Matthew 25, you see that there were ten virgins. All ten of them were virgins. There wasn't five harlots, five virgins. There wasn't five wicked women and five virtuous women. It wasn't like that. All ten of them were virgins, which was um, obviously a metaphor for Christianity. But the Bible stated that when the Lord came, only five of the virgins were wise and had extra oil and were actually ready when he came. It reminds me of many of his other teachings. For example, two were in the field. One was taken, another left. My point is, is that not everybody's going to be ready when the Lord, when that shofar blast sounds in the sky. But there will be those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. How many knows God has always had a remnant? In the nation of Israel, for example, in the days of worshiping Baal and Jezebel and all that, Elijah was depressed because so many of his fellow prophets had been killed. And we know the story. It's a very famous story that we talk about all the time. But Elijah ended up in the cave and he was depressed. And God appeared to him. And God spoke to him and said, look, you know, I've got 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Which is not very many out of a whole nation. 7,000. But nonetheless, God had a remnant. That's been the way it's been with God Throughout all of the Bible, God has always had a remnant. And in these last days, though the world will get more wicked, and I don't have time to get into end-time prophecy, I teach a lot on that, but though the world will get more and more wicked, and though the church is going to have some apostate churches, there's going to be a falling away, God will still have a remnant. And his name will still be glorified in the earth. He will still have a people. And when Jesus comes and splits that sky and sounds that shofar sounded, there will be a bride that is ready to be caught up with him. Amen? All right, so let me read some of this here in these notes. Um, the Greek word for glory is doxo. We get the word doxology from this word. And it's interesting because in classical Greek, the word doxo was used to describe just something that's seen. And so one man that was a student of classical Greek was reading the Bible. And he was looking at the Greek and he saw that how the Bible used the word doxo to describe the glory of God. And it surprised him because in classic Greek he was thinking, you know, this just simply talks about something that's seen. But when you read biblical Greek, it talks about the revealing of God's manifest glory, the presence of God. I mean, love the glory of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, in these latter days, the glory of the Lord is going to be very thick, but it's going to be, the glory of the Lord will be where God's remnant is. It's not going to necessarily just be everywhere, but it's going to be where God's remnant and where people are hungry for revival. All right, so let me read Ephesians 4.11, and then I'm going to kind of bring all this together. Ephesians 4.11, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the works of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we will no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by winds of doctrine, by trickery of men or craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into all aspects into him who's the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint supplying, 
according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. Now, Christ is the head, and he is the fullness of all things, okay? And Christ is the one that the glory, you know, comes from originally in the church. He's the head of the church. But Christ is appointed apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And these true apostles and prophets, etc., God's going to continue to use them in the body of Christ to help bring the body to full maturity and unity, which I know you guys are familiar with this. Um, that's going to be something that the Lord is going to do in these last days. And I say this in love, but God has never functioned through politics. So when you get into denominational structures and different areas where it's just politics and people may call themselves an apostle or whatever, but they're not. God's never functioned through that, and he won't. But he does have the true fivefold ministry. And he will ra- continue to raise them up. He has them right now. And those that humble themselves under the hand of God, and they humble themselves under the fivefold ministry, they will be brought to full maturity and unity in these last days. All right, so let me start moving this together. John 17. Jesus prayed that we may be one as he and the Father are one, thus share in his glory. So there's got to be a unity. That's why I've had to deal with things. I'm just going to kind of share from my heart tonight. This is a little bit different sermon than what I normally preach. It's a little bit different tonight. But I've had to deal with some things. And I know a lot of my friends that are pastors have had to deal. You know, you get real controlling people, real controlling women sometimes in a church. You get uh, Jezebels, you get Judases, you get rebels that, that try to stir up problems. And there's divisive people. And these people don't realize it, but they're being used to the devil. And, and I've, had, I've got so many friends there in the ministry that have had so many different stories to tell. But you have to be willing to deal with things. It's kind of like a parent that in their home, they know, that, you know, maybe they're raising teenagers or whatever. And they know that when they're teenagers in their room, has maybe some drugs, they have some things music-wise they shouldn't have in their room. But yet the dad will never do anything about it. Because he just wants to be their friend instead of being their parent. Hello? Consequently, now there's sin in that home. And the glory of God's not going to be in that home. And probably something from the devil is going to be working in that home. Y'all hear what I'm saying? But if he would rise up and he would deal with it and go in there and talk to his kid and deal with things, the glory of God would come in that home. That home would be in order, and the move of God would begin to take place. In the same way, it's no different in a church. A pastor will know that there's some things that aren't right. But unfortunately, and I I say this lovingly, but there's a lot of them out there that won't do a thing about it. They know that there's sin in the camp. They know there's trouble. But they're just going to ignore it, sweep it under a rug, and hope everything just works out. Well, the problem is, is that they got a little snake in the woodpile. And it's not going to be too long until there's problems. And the glory of God's not going to be there anyway. The, let me tell you something about the glory. I'm not talking about the anointing. And I'm not talking about gifts. I'm talking about the glory. The glory of God will be where things are right. The Bible says all the sin that falls short of the glory. Y'all are too quiet tonight. Where things are right with God and the blood is and things are right, that's where the glory will settle and abide. But when there's things out of order and things are not right, the glory will lift. I'm just telling you. 
And so here's the description that God gives to the bride. There's three descriptions of the bride ready when the Lord comes. Think about this for a second. Number one, the glory. Number two, holy. And number three, without blemish. And I know you're familiar with this, but the glory of the Lord is God's manifest presence. I'm not talking about the anointing. The anointing, you know, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there can be, an, you know, somebody praying for you or whatever. There's an anointing. There's an empowerment to do what Jesus did. In Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. And he went about doing good, healing all the oppressed of the devil. You're anointed. You flow in the gifts. You pray for the sick. They're healed. You drive out demons. You're anointed. I'm not dealing with the anointing. I'm dealing with the glory. <clears throat> the glory of God is his thick, weighty presence that comes in. The name um, Shekinah we use, that means it comes from the Hebrew word Shekan, which means like dwell. And so the Shekinah is the glory, the manifest presence of God that abides and dwells somewhere. You know, I can come in here on an off day and just simply just walk in here and pray and the glory is here all the time. But as a pastor, as you guys know, <clears throat> there's been a couple times I had to deal with things. And I'm telling you, and I hope you guys hear me and you support me in the future, but if I did not deal with those things, that glory would not be here right now tonight. But I care more about being right with God than I do everybody liking me, and I care more about God's glory being here than being popular. The glory is that weighty presence. And in the Hebrew also there's a word kavod. We would translate it K-A-V-O-D. Kavod, okay? And the kavod glory is the weightiness. And so the Shekinah is like the cloud, the fire, a shining. You know, you read in the Bible that Jesus was transfigured. He sh his, you know, like a white shining glory. Angels appeared. There was a shining. That's the Shekinah. But the Chavot glory was a weightiness. You remember how the angel appeared to Daniel and Daniel just kind of collapsed? <laughs> and he was weak and he couldn't move and the angel had to, you know, pray for him. God, give this man strength, you know. But it was the glory. The priest could not minister in the temple because of the glory. Jesus appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos. He fell as a dead man. That's the weightiness of that thick, heavy glory of God. So I'm dealing with the glory. We've had many, many, many times that people have told me I couldn't get off the floor. <laughs> I felt something weighty, heavy on me. And it's, it's so cute to see people. Um, I remember this little boy that was there. And some of y'all remember this. He came, he's probably eight years old. I don't, I don't remember. But these little boys like that, yeah, he may have been younger than that. He actually might have been like five or six, actually. They don't think what the attention span of a squirrel. Amen? You know, I mean, it's like you got them for about 30 seconds. So you know that if they're out there in the power for a long period of time, it has to be God Almighty, right? And I remember just praying for people, and we prayed for that little boy, and he got hit by the power. He was out. And the glory of God, I saw the glory of God settling on that boy. And he was down there just vibrating, his body vibrating on the power of God. He was there for a long time. And that's the glory. The anointing will function even more powerfully and the giftings even more powerfully when you're in a glory atmosphere. You know, the praise and worship, and we enter in like that, the biblical pattern. We come through the blood. We take time. 
You know, I use the tabernacle as a biblical pattern. But we take time to get washed and covered in the blood. We unify. I try not to have real structured services where, you know, it's like at 743, we're going to do this. 750, we're going to do that. You want the Holy Spirit to leave? Do that, okay? But anyway, you just free things up. The Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do. But we come through the blood, and then we begin to worship and pray together. And as we enter into praise and worship, prayer and intercession, the glory comes in that glory atmosphere. And the glory is here tonight. And when we pray for people, the anointing will really function in that glory real powerfully. So number one is the glory. The second attribute, what Jesus is coming for in a bride, is holy. Now the body of Christ, excuse me, the body of Christ does not understand the holiness of God many times. Holy means set apart. People use it synonymously with righteousness, but they're two different things. Holy in the Bible was a person, a place, or a thing that was set apart unto God. So the temple in the Old Testament was a place that was set apart unto God in His presence. You know, tonight we're in this building, but there's a lot of other buildings out here. There's buildings around us where things that are not necessarily pleasing to the Lord take place. (laughs) Amen? But yet this place is set apart unto God for His presence to dwell. And what God is looking for is a bride that will be different than the world that will be set apart. Like I talked about at the beginning when we took communion in the ancient Jewish time of Jesus' day and further back, there would be a, a young lady that would be, you know, they went out to draw water at the wells. That's what young ladies did. That was their chores. So you just picture a Jewish young man. He's wanting a, a wife, you know. He says, what's well, time? You know, I need to get married. His mom's been bugging him half to death, right? So now he's going out to the well. And so he gets out there, and he's got his binoculars. He's checking them all out. And he decides that this young lady, this young lady, I'm interested in. So he goes to the dad. And he says, you know, I can offer this dowry. I've got this many sheep, this many camels, this many whatever. And the dad says, well, you know, I've raised her for years, and I've spent a lot of, a lot of money on this young lady, and I, I think you can give me a few more sheep and a few more camels. So anyway, they work it all out. They hammer out the details. He brings the dowry. The father set the price, and he now has to pay the price for a bride. Hello? Then the young lady's brought in, and she has, still has a say-so in this, and they pour a, a cup of wine and sit on the table and say, look, if you're in agreement with this, And she'll say, yes, I'm in agreement. She would drink that cup of wine. And from that point on, even though they were not officially married, she was off limits. She belonged now to him. You hear what I'm saying? He went away for a year or two to prepare a place for her. He would go back to his father's house where he came from, and he would begin to build a bridal chamber. He's going to work. And his dad oversees it. Son, you need to fix that too before. That thing's going to fall and hit your bride on the head. I'm telling you, you need to fix. That's not square, son. Figure it out. There, let me help you. And the dad's over there helping his son. He's building the bridal chamber. He's getting things ready. This could take up to two years. But while that's going on, he went away to prepare a place for her. This is literally the way it was. She's back at her place. Now, she's like, I'm off limits. I still go to the well and do my chores, but now she wears a veil. Because now when young men come to the well with their binoculars, they say, oh, she belongs to somebody else. 
she's off limits. And she lived her life accordingly. She had to be faithful to him, even though he was away. In the same way, we're to live separate from this world. And this is so important that people grasp this concept about holiness. Christ is coming for a holy people. He's gone to prepare a place for us. There's a lot of those women at the well. But are we the ones like the veil that are separate from this world? We're different. We're spoken, we're spoken for. We belong to somebody. It grieves me deeply to see some of the things that goes on now in churches. Because when I was younger, it wouldn't have been tolerated. And people are out, you know, getting drunk, getting high, living in sin and going to church. And some of them leading worship and stuff. It's an abomination. And I'm going to tell you, Christ isn't coming for that type of bride. He's just not. He's coming for a bride that's holy. And then finally, without blemish. Blemish has to do with righteousness. The Bible talks about garments that are without spot or blemish. All of it is cleansed away by the blood of Jesus. That we have repented. Have we really humbled ourselves and repented of all of our pride? Have we really humbled ourselves and asked God to forgive us for all the idols, all the things that we put before him? Have we really repented and asked forgiveness and turned away from, from the, all the sexual immorality and all the, 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 you know, the drugs and the alcohol? And, and have we allowed God to clean up our mouth? I'm just preaching it really like it truly is. And you know, when we stand before the Lord, there's going to be some people say thank you to people that told them the truth. I'm going to tell you, Jesus isn't coming for a bride that's filthy, that's in sexual immorality, that's dabbling in witchcraft and the occult garbage that's out there. He's not coming for a bride that's getting drunk on Saturday night and then coming to church on Sunday and worship him. He's coming for a bride that is holy and also without blemish. That they've repented and said, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, wash me. Let me be holy and let me be pure before you. He's coming for a bride like that. The process that God's been doing of a deep consecration is a sign of the times. In River of Life, I felt such a deep burden of the Lord to, to begin to do something that is different. I mean, I'd been a product of the revivals of the 90s. I grew up in church. I grew up around Pentecost. I, I would say truthfully that I was, pretty, I was very far from God. In my teenage years, very far from God. I dabbled in the occult some. I was in all kinds of sin. I mean, I'm not going to waste your time getting into all the gory details, but trust me, I was far from God. But my parents were praying for me, and God drew me unto him. I truly came to the Lord in January 95, and I'd been around things. I'd been around church that's typical church. Every once in a while, there'd be a move of the Spirit, but by and large, it wasn't anything. You know, it was just typical church. And I remember that I began to hear about these revivals, especially at Brownsville. I remember hearing about the Brownsville revival. And I was in Bible school at the time. I went to Southwestern, and I was out there in Waxhatchee, and I had some friends of mine. And these guys were goofy, man, let me tell you. And so when they came back, and they were really touched like that, and I saw that, I knew this had to be a sovereign move of God, man. And so they come back, and God had really touched them. I mean, they were really broken and and uh, thank God, thank God, I had some good people around me. I was working at a church down there that was very um, ethnically diverse, which I love. And I was a part of that. And that pastor there said, it's a move of God, you need to go. And so thank God I had a good pastor. 
And I remember I didn't have a lot of money to go on my own. And I remember talking to my mother and some, and, and we, we all went. We got a little group and went. Anyway, I got down there and I'll never forget because later on, this is God really did a work in my life because this led from that church to another place where I was just simply helping with youth, you know. And I'd only been right with God from, you know, maybe a year or two. I was probably about 20, 21 years old. I was a baby Christian. I was just out of my teenage years. So I was very young, in, you know, myself. And um, I still had a lot of flaws. God still had to do a lot of work in me. But they wanted me to help out with some of the young people. And I remember, you know, you're just doing what, what you do. You know, we do worship. We do all the things. You send the flyers. You do all the stuff you're supposed to do. So, you know, I went to the seminars and stuff, man. I took the notes. I did everything I was supposed to do. And, you know, that a lot of them were coming. But I'll never forget that when I went to Brownsville, how much this really, really rocked my world because I saw people that were lined up from the, the crack of dawn, some before the sun came up outside the church, lined all the way around the block. And they were out there in the heat of the summer in Florida. And I saw all these people. You could tell some of these people were heathen. They weren't church folk. And I remember thinking to myself, my God, it, for people to be waiting in line from, from before the sunrise, and they're not going to get in church until like 7 o'clock that night, and I remember that we waited in line like everybody else, and we went in. And I remember that uh, as we went in, you know, everybody, we, we, it was a madhouse to get a seat. <laughs> Don't want to get into that, but we got a seat. And man, the, the worship, Lindell leading worship, all that, the glory of God, I had never felt that level of anointing. I've been in church before all my life, really. But I felt like there was an electricity in the atmosphere. There was just a glory of God in that place. I'd never felt that before. I remember that I, I was just tearing up and I'd never been around anything like that. And I remember thinking to myself how shallow things really are back home. You know, you have to have all these pizza parties and everything else just to get people to come. It's pitiful. And um, I began to really, God was stirring in me something. And I remember, man, Steve Hill got up and preached a fiery message of repentance. And I saw people, I saw people that that I knew had come off the streets. I mean, these are people, jeans and, uh, you know, what they call the wife beater shirts, okay? I don't call them that, everybody else does, but you know what I'm saying? And they come off the streets, all right? And, I mean, you could tell these are not Christian people is what my point is. These weren't like suit and tie people coming down off. These were people that, that were heathen that were there drawn by the Spirit of God there. And I saw them. I was there and I saw it. I saw them run. And they were falling on their face in the altars. And they, you could hear the wailing and people just, it was just, it was haunting. And I remember when Steve was preaching, you could feel just this suction. And I remember I ran down to get saved. I was saved. I was in Bible school. But, but you just felt, it took, it took a strong, it took a very strong person or somebody that has the hardest heart you could imagine to not go down there. I'm just telling you. This was a move of God. Now, I remember everybody just feeling that. You just, you just went down there. You need to make sure things were right with God. And I remember just, just weeping in the altars. And I'd never seen this. And afterward, we had, you know, they said, we're going to pray for people. And I just remember, my, you know, some friends, and I think that first pastor I was referring to, tell me, when you go, you, you need to make sure you get prayer. And um, I didn't really understand it. Till I got prayer. But let me tell you, 
there is something to that because when they prayed for me these were just some random altar worker this was not like you know a staff person it's some random altar worker some guy just came by and it's like you know can i pray for you and i was just you know i was hungry now you gotta be hungry and um he just simply prayed for me i don't even know if he touched me i just remember being in the air and hitting the ground and i remember that i was on my back and i felt like i was baptized in fire and that fire got in me and it has never left and to this day something happened that that day that affects me to this day and i believe in these latter days that god is going that's just a warm-up for what god's about to do i'm sharing all that for a reason Anyway, God changed my life at Brownsville. Now I realized it was a move of God. There was people I knew that, that believed in the revivals and the moves of God. And there was other religious people I knew that didn't think it was of the Lord. There's always Pharisees and blind guides. You better be careful who you're following because not everybody has a clue, man. And um, I remember going to, after that, I was like, God's moving. And I remember going to uh, see Brother Rodney Howard Brown in um, Fort Worth out there at Calvary Cathedral. And the power of God was so awesome. I'll tell you one quick story. There were so many things I could share because during this, all these years, God radically touched my life. And granted, I was still very much a work in progress. I had only been saved for a very short amount of time. I was still very young. And I still had a lot of flaws and imperfections. God had to work in me. But nonetheless, I mean, just revival was raging. And there was such a hunger. I remember Brother Rodney got up and preached at this one place I was at. And he was praying for people. And people were getting touched by God. He got this one guy. And he just felt, he was like, listen, do you even know Jesus? Are you, are you even really born again? And the guy said, no, I don't think so. And so he prays with him and leads him to Christ. Prays for the guy. You know, he's getting bat- the guy is getting saved, but now he's getting baptized. And the Holy Spirit hits the ground. And Brother Rodney says, you know something to the effect i feel like you have some health problems and the guy had something wrong with his legs so he's now praying for his legs the guy gets up saved baptized in the holy spirit and his legs totally healed it all happened within about five minutes and the blind guides and the religious pharisees as steve hill would say here they are with their sunglasses on and their cane a tapping saying that's not god yeah and so god did a deep work in my life and i kept going back as much as i could to different revival meetings and and listening to the sermons and and wanting to get as much from the lord as i could i didn't understand when i first went but then i started to understand that there's something about the anointing of the lord that's transferable and i remember even when i was just helping out with this youth thing um i'd go to these moves of god and i would get prayer and when i came back that move of the spirit was breaking out with them you hear what i'm saying and i began to understand the the biblical principle that you saw in the old and the new testament that there's something about there being an anointing from one individual to the next and i started thinking about how philip went to samaria and he preached the gospel a lot of people were saved but the bible says in acts chapter 8 that they had not received the Spirit yet. They weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they sent for Peter and John. And Peter and John come to Samaria, and they lay hands on them, and they were filled with the Spirit. They were baptized in the Spirit. 
there was some kind of a transference that happened. There's many more stories like that. All right. So the glory of the Lord to come. Jesus is like the sun that shines in the day, this bright shining sun. But the church is supposed to be the moon reflecting the, the, the light of the sun. The moon doesn't put out its own light. It is a reflection of the sun. And just like the moon, the church is supposed to be reflecting Christ in this world. And the darker things get, you know, it can be high noon, but there's still stars that are out there. You just don't see them. The darker things get, the more pronounced the stars become. What I'm trying to get at is this. The world is going to get darker and darker, but yet the church in these latter days, the glory of God is going to visit his remnant people on the earth, and there's going to be a shining of the glory of God. And the Bible depicts this. All right, Song of Solomon 6, verse 10. Who is that? Who is this that appears like the dawn, fair as the moon, bright as the sun, majestic as the stars in procession? Isaiah 59, starting with verse 19 through 60, verse 5. You can read it on your own. I'm not going to get into it. But you see that God is going to visit the glory of the Lord on his people before Jesus comes. We're going to see the fullness of the comforter. Do you understand what the Bible says earlier, what I read, that God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh? Do you realize that God really did mean that? Did you realize that? Do you realize that that means every part of this world is going to experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit before Jesus comes? And churches that are really Christ church, really his remnant people, there's going to be such a glory in our midst. It's going to be phenomenal. I remember this happened in Azusa, and it's happened other times, but this happened at the Azusa Street Revival. Those that are Pentecostal, full gospel people, whether you're Foursquare, Church of God, Assembly of God, whatever you want to label yourself, every one of us has our background and our roots back to the Azusa Street Revival. But what a lot of people don't realize is that God poured out His Spirit in such a way at this little Azusa Street mission, which was a small, glorified barn where it was a stable where they had horses when they got the place. They had to scoop out all the old horse poop out. Okay, They took these these little wooden barrels and they 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 nailed two before us to him to make little um you know pews for people to sit on all they had was a little piano and this this one-eyed black man the son of a slave that was very poor was there just going after god with all of his heart but it did not have glorious in the natural way beginnings but yet in that obscurity and that humility in that place God poured out His Spirit in such a way that it literally affected the entire world to this day. Missionaries were touched and baptized in the Holy Ghost in fire and were sent all over the world out of Azusa. But there were nights, and I said all that to get to this, there were nights that the glory of God was so strong and they saw incredible miracles. For example, things like this, because I've read the miracles where there would be people that were there, just a row of people that were crippled on cots, and they would begin to pray, and every single one of them were healed completely, 100%, got up. There were creative miracles that happened. But during those times, Azusa was just, it was on fire for God. There were literally fire trucks that showed up to the revival 
because people called the fire department because they really thought the place was on fire and there really was a pillar of fire. And they had to explain to the firemen that it was spiritual. That literally happened and it didn't just happen once. There's going to be a glory in our midst in these latter days. The glory of God will dispel the darkness. There will be a rising and shining of the glory. And let me tell you something. There's no neutrality with Christ. This may surprise some people because there's some strange teaching that people have probably considered. But did you know that Jesus is very clear that you're either for me or against me? Has anybody ever really thought about this? Because see, I think a lot of times church people think well, there's some kind of middle road. But there's really not. He said you're either, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one you're going to hate the other. There's no neutrality. There's no gray area. There's no play in games. There's no half commitments. We're either 100% or nothing at all. And I'm going to tell you what happens when revival comes. You've got all these people that want to ride the fence. The very first thing God does is he flips the switch and he electrifies the fence. All of a sudden, people are going to jump off the fence. They're either going to jump over here with the Lord and repent, or they're going to leave church altogether and reject Christ, but they're going to get off that fence. The Lord says, I would rather that you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And it make, it's, the Greek would be, it makes you want to vomit out of his mouth, the lukewarm. He said, you better choose who you're going to serve. You're either with me or against me. There's no neutrality. The results of the glory of God coming to the church, Isaiah 60, verse 3. You can look this up yourself. But nations will come to this light. I remember, for example, to me, I believe the 90s were just a warm-up for what's coming. I believe God started something. And there's many of us that were touched in revival that now are planted all over the world. And God has us scattered out, and, and we're ready. And pretty soon, God's going to really start pouring out His Spirit. I'm telling you. And there's going to be a massive harvest start coming in in the days to come. But nations will come to the light. And I remember at Brownsville, it blew my mind to see this little, you know, Pensacola, this little seaside town, that there was nothing great about Pensacola. But yet people came from all over the world to that place. It was like four and a half million people during a five-year period. But people came from all over the world. You have people from Israel, from the Netherlands, from China. You have them all over, and they were there. And they were there, why? Because they wanted to experience the glory of God. They came to a light. They weren't coming for a preacher. Many of them, you would say, well, who'd you come to see? They wouldn't even know the names of who led worship and who preached. They didn't know who they were. They didn't care. They were there for the glory of God, to be in His presence, have an encounter with the risen Christ. They were drawn to the light. There were people, I'll tell one quick story. There was a man, you guys know this story, but it's funny. And this, this woman was, uh, was going through the line and she was interviewing different people. And I mean, she, she came into some, she saw all these people in line. You think, well, this is church people, but they're not. There's some groups over here that were maybe doing some, smoking some weed or something. You have this group over here doing this. And she remembered, she, she was telling the pastor of the revival, she said, Pastor, you don't realize who's in this line. There are some heathen. And, she, and he said, well, praise God. 
They're going to come in and get saved tonight. She said, no, you don't understand. He said, I, I met some people that are some heathen. And he said, well, what are you talking about? She said, well, this one man, I'm going to tell you, he's like a snake. And he said, the snake? What you? See, I'm telling you, he looked like a snake. He had some tattoos, his eyes. He looked like a snake. I, I'm telling you, he's a snake man. And the uh, pastor's like, well, I just believe that God brought him here to get saved. And, she's, and so here's, here's the story of snake man. Let me tell you what happened. He came there, and he was a total, complete heathen. You know, tattoos and piercings and just, you know, just came out of drugs and everything else. And he lived in a different state. And he was all doing drugs and stuff. And God spoke to him. Now, how many knows that there's people out there that are, that are heathen, and they're away from God, but they got praying grandmas? You know what I'm saying? They got people that, that they used to go to their church that are praying for them. They're away from God, but they're praying. Well, this guy is out there doing his drugs and stuff like that, and he hears the Lord speak to him, but he didn't know it was the Lord. And God spoke to him and said, I want you to go to Pensacola to the revival that's down there, and I'll meet you there. And so he's telling this lady this story. He said, I heard a voice. <laughs> and the lady's like, well, what do you think is going to happen tonight? He said, lady, so I'm going to meet the guy behind the voice. <laughs> and you know what? Snake Man was one of the first ones that ran down to that altar and got saved that night. Something, there was a great light. There was a glory. And there was a draw. The Spirit of God. I know all of us are out here witnessing and we're doing our best to keep sharing the gospel and all that. And we see some people saved here and there. It's like a fishing pole. But what's about to happen is the Lord is about to say, River of Life, be ready. He's about to say, put down your fishing pole and get your net. Cast the net on the other side. And there's going to be too many fish. We're going to be trying to deal with it. I'm telling you, it's about to happen. It's coming. There's a light. There's a glory that's coming. And the nations will come to that light. I believe the Bible says, I pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. I believe there's going to be a special move of God among young people. Did y'all hear that? I plan on making a lot of room for that. I've always had a heart for young people. We saw the revivals in the 90s. It started out with Rodney. Howard Brown seemed to be ankle deep. Moved to Toronto, seemed to be knee deep. Went to Brownsville, went waist deep. But I believe we're about to see an over-the-head river. And let me close with this, a great wealth transfer. Verse Peter 2, 5, You also as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You know, all of us are living stones. You have to let the Lord do the work in you that he needs to do. You know, David, the whole story, the analogy we give many times that David picked those five smooth stones out of the river. They were smooth because the river kept bumping the rocks up against each other and knocking all the rough edges off. And God has got to get all these rough edges off because if you go to build a spiritual house and we're each like stones, if you've got a stone that's got a lot of rough edges and things on it, it won't, it's not going to fit. God's got to chisel some things. He's got to purify that stone. He's got to get it ready. And so yield to that. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield because David picked up five smooth stones and those stones end up being giant killers. If you'll yield to the Spirit of God and let God purify you, you'll end up being a giant killer. You know what I'm saying? God's going to build great structures. But y'all hear me when I say this. The tabernacle of Moses, whenever the children of Israel were in Egypt, 
And God gave them the Passover story, and they celebrated Passover, and they came under the blood. The Bible says there were none sick or feeble among them. Number one, God released great healing. Number two, they plundered Egypt. There was a great wealth transfer. This is important because we look at this and say, how in the world do you get from A to B? How do you get from where we are to having the provision to be able to go to the next thing? We're talking about the net, drawing in all these fish. What are you going to do with all the fish? You see what I'm saying? You're thinking A to B, and God's saying, don't worry about it. There's a wealth transfer. Whenever Israel left Egypt, they plundered Egypt. Egypt just threw on them their wealth. And when they came out, Moses says, you know what? We need an offering because God told us to build him a tabernacle, a dwelling place. And the people gave what they, what they plundered Egypt. And that wealth transfer that came from Egypt built God a dwelling place. Second time, God laid on David's heart. The tabernacle was in Shiloh. He went and got the ark and brought it to Jerusalem, pitched a tent around it. But it was in David's heart to build a, ta- a temple. But God told David, it won't be you. It'll be your son. And David really began to save and save as much as he could to give to Solomon to build the temple. And did you know by modern calculations that just the gold that David gave to Solomon was equivalent of $2.4 billion, just the gold. There was a wealth transfer. It was time for now there to be a dwelling place. And God used David, picture how humbling this would have been for David, who probably remembered back to a day when he was just this little shepherd boy that nobody would have expected would have ever amounted to anything. But God anointed him one day. And next thing you know, he's given $2.4 million or billion dollars with a B in gold to build the temple. How humbling that would be. But God allowed there to be a wealth transfer to David to Solomon so he could build a dwelling place. I believe in these latter days that God is going to supernaturally move to cause finances to come to build him a dwelling place. I'm not talking about for people to get rich. I'm not talking about to play games and to play church and all that stupid. I'm talking about to build God a dwelling place that is going to be a station for souls to be saved, for revival, where God can deposit his glory. There is going to be that wealth transfer. It's always been there in the scripture. This is just two. I could give several more. The apostles are the master builders. The fivefold ministry will bring maturity and unity. But God, when Jesus comes, he will have a bride that's without spot or blemish, that is holy, and that the glory of the Lord is upon him. Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is seen upon you, and nations will come to the brightness of your light. That will be fulfilled in the days to come. We will see a glorious church. Just like when the children of Israel left Egypt, you and I, when it's time for the rapture, we're not going out of here defeated, sick, oppressed, beat up, and everything else. That's not the way it's going to be. The true church is going to see uh, there's going to be such healing, there's going to be such a revival that we're going to leave out of this place like glorious in the Lord Jesus. I believe that. Victorious. And to see that harvest come in. That's what my heart is for. To see the harvest come in. And see a bride ready. You say, well, Pastor, what is your heart? Three things. I want to see God pour out His Spirit on all flesh. 
and we will see it. Number two, I want to see a harvest come in. And number three, I want to see a bride ready for the coming of the Lord. But that bride being made ready is a move of the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? It's going to be the Holy Spirit that does that. The wise virgins with extra oil, the oil is the Spirit. It's going to be the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the great revival that's coming that's going to deal with people and get the sin out and help them get set free from the power of sin and ready for the coming of the Lord. All right, let's go ahead and shut down recordings. We're going to pray for people. Guys, get ready. I just feel it. There's revival on the horizon for River of Life. When Lyndall was here, he felt a spirit of revival in this place. And when Brother Benny was here, I said, what do you think? But he said, brother, I feel revival. I feel it coming. Revival's about to come to River of Life. And I know that there's going to be this whole net full of fish we're going to be pulling in. And I believe in God. Y'all got to believe with me. God is going to cause provision to come in and then a place that we need for it. You know why? Because he loves those souls that's going to be saved. That's why. He's going to make a way. And I remember Brother Kilpatrick prophesied over that years ago. Because I think 2010. He said, don't worry about money. The gold falls to glory. He said, there'll be a bag of gold waiting on you when you get to where you're going. There's going to be provision. In other words, what he was saying was, in, in uh, prophetic terms, he was saying, don't worry about it. God's going to give you what you need. It's going to come in supernaturally. And it will. All right. Can you go ahead and um, just play that iPod and... And we may need to move these chairs. I feel such an anointing tonight. How many want to be a part of Christ's remnant bride? Say, Pastor, I want to be different than this world. I don't want to be like the world. I know the love of this world is enmity with God. I want to be different than this world. I want to be a shining light. I want to pray for you tonight that God anoint you like never before, empower you to be an overcomer. All right, let's go ahead and move.